You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, You know the type. Uh, I'll give an example of this type. I'll give the bisexual example of this type. You meet somebody, you get to that point where you're, you know, disclosing or you know, your sexual orientation. I have a boyfriend, and it comes up sexual orientation, uh, and this bi person isn't content to say that they are bi. What they say is, "I fall in love with people, not genitals," which means that your partner is a dick. Their partner is a person. Your partner, you just fell in love with a penis, but they fell in love with a person. It's not that they're bi. It's that they're walking on a higher spiritual plane than you are, right? And it's not just bisexual people who do this. Gay people do it. That being gay isn't just, you know, not being straight or, you know, liking people of the same sex. It's better than being straight. Straight people don't know what they're missing. The kind of gay person who thinks everyone – is either secretly gay or needs to be gay or would be better if they were gay. Those gay people annoy me too. And there's the poly iteration of these people too. It's not enough that they are happy having multiple partners, that this relationship model works for them uh, and, and the persons in their lives. It's that you're doing it wrong, you, the monogamists out there. There's something wrong with you that they have so much abundant love whereas you have this sort of – withered, small, one-at-a-time love, right? They can't just let you be monogamous if it makes you happy in exchange for you letting them be poly. If that's what makes them happy, they have to be doing it better. They're walking on a higher spiritual plane than you. Well, last week on Salon, uh, Tracy Clark Flory, who's a terrific sex writer uh, at Salon and everybody should be following her on Twitter and reading her stuff at Salon, unpacked the kink version of this. The kinksters who sneer at people who are vanilla because to be kinky and, you know, sex positive and sexually progressive and open to all sorts of different kinds of experiences isn't just you doing what you like. It's you existing on this higher moral plane. You're on a, a journey of exploration and somebody who's just vanilla is somehow repressed, limited, damaged goods, fucked in the head instead of the ass. Tracy Clark Flory is going to join us on the show later today to talk about this phenomenon that she has identified in the kink community. This sneering at the vanilla types, the way some bisexuals sneer at the monosexuals, some polys sneer at the monogamists, some gays sneer at the straights. Tracy will be joining us later in the show to chat about the kinksters who sneer at the vanillas. And she'll speak very slowly, and she won't interrupt me. Your call's after this. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Just go to AdamandEve.com and enter Savage at checkout. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to AudiblePodcast.com slash Savage. Hi, Dan. This is a 29-year-old male, uh, straight, from Canada. Uh, I'm just calling because my girlfriend of uh, eight years and I have been having a debate about uh, sex toys. She uses uh, a vibrator, uh, a massager to get off sometimes, and I help her with that, and we use them together. 
Um, the only thing is she got upset that I wanted to buy a, a flashlight because she's worried that I would use that instead of having intercourse with her. Uh, I've tried to tell her that that's not the case at all and that it's just for me to use to have a little bit of fun or for her to use on me, but she doesn't seem to see it the same way. Am I crazy or should I get one anyway? Sorry, ladies. We have defended. I have defended. I have crawled out onto limbs, your limbs, to defend your right to use penetration toys, to use vibrators. I have talked so many straight guys off ledges who were paranoid and felt inadequate because their girlfriends had vibrators that could, you know, get them off faster than they could or get them off at all when they couldn't. Or the girlfriend had a dildo that maybe was, you know, just a little bit bigger than his penis and he was all a big weepy bag of slop. And I have slapped those guys over and over and over again and told them to get the fuck over it, that sex toys uh, are an important part of many women's lives and it's good that their girlfriends are masturbating because, you know, it's good that they're masturbating. And so now... Ladies, turnabout is fair play. There didn't used to be penetration toys for guys that weren't creepy fucking weird-ass blow-up dolls, right? There weren't penetration toys. If a guy wanted a penetration toy, he had to – and what is a dildo or a vibrator most of the time but a penetration toy? But if a guy wanted a penetration toy that he could penetrate, he had to go for the blow-up doll or he had to carve a hole in a cantaloupe. That was, those were his options. Microwave a cantaloupe and then hope it wasn't too hot in the center when you stuck your dick in it. But now there are fleshlights. And as vibrators are for women, fleshlights are for dudes. It's a masturbation aid. It's a toy. I am 100% in your corner, straight boy. You say to your straight girlfriend, hey, I got this. It is no more a replacement for your pussy than that vibrator is a replacement for my dick. And I am not insecure about your vibrator and I ask you not to be insecure about my fleshlight. Period. The end. End of discussion. Well, actually beginning of probably a very long discussion. Uh, but you should stand your ground with your dick jammed in a flashlight. Hi, Dan. I'm a 37-year-old straight male who lives in Texas. My question is, can a heterosexual be against gay marriage but still be a champion of other gay rights? Like many Christians, I am against gay marriage based on my interpretation of the Bible. Now, I know you consider Christianity to be mythology, so arguing against gay marriage based on the Bible, is probably the equivalent of being against it because Odin wrote gay marriage is bad on more near the hammer of Thor. But those are my convictions. I applaud people who have, who have found loving gay relationships. I mentor young gay colleagues at work and, in general, consider myself to be an, an ally. However, I am concerned that my stance against gay marriage limits my ability to support gay coworkers, friends, and relatives. After all, I'm African-American, so if a white guy claimed to be an ally of black people but stated I would never let my daughter marry a black guy, I would probably reject his claim. Can you help me out here? Jesus Christ condemns divorce. Explicitly in his own words, read your Gospels. And yet there is no movement to ban divorce in the United States. All these people who say that they must oppose same-sex marriage because of a few passages in the Bible – about uh, that seem to be about gay people, the claim they have no choice but to oppose gay marriage, are not out there condemning divorced people, are not out there trying to pass constitutional amendments banning divorce. And why is that? Why not? If the Bible forces your hand on gay marriage, 
Why does it not force your hand on divorce? Now, some Christians will say they think divorce is wrong. I'm down with that. I, I'm sad every time a couple that I know gets divorced. I'm busted up about Amy Poehler and Will Arnett getting divorced. Makes me sad. I, I think divorce is wrong. I think it's bad for kids. I think it's wrong. I tolerate it and it's legal. Christians often think divorce is wrong, but they tolerate its legality. All you need to get to, caller, is that place where you can, in your private life, you can, you know, as your religious perspective, believe that gay marriage is wrong and still support its legality, just as I assume that you believe divorce is wrong and sad and unfortunate, but you don't think it should be illegal to divorce, that someone shouldn't be shackled for decades all their lives to a spouse who beats them, abuses them, doesn't meet their needs, they don't get along with it, they have a high-complex shit-ass relationship with. I'm sure even though you believe as a religious person that divorce is wrong, even sinful, you support its legality. You can take the same position on same-sex marriage. You can believe it's wrong. You can even believe it's sinful. You can believe it goes against the Bible and you can tolerate – not just tolerate but support its legality. Because what it comes down to is you really can't be an ally of your gay friends, relatives and coworkers and want to see them discriminated against under the law this way. You know, it's not just about religion and faith. What happens when a same-sex couple can't get married is shit like being turned away from your partner's bedside during a medical crisis. This is not a hypothetical. This happens all the time. It just happened to a same-sex couple in Nevada, a lesbian couple. One of them was pregnant. They were trying to become parents together. She went into premature labor, lost the baby. And her partner was blocked from being at her bedside the entire time she was going through this trauma because they are not married, because they can't get married. So you can't say you are an ally to these women or to the women that you know in your own life who are lesbians and support the denial of their rights under the law, the right to be at each other's bedside during a medical emergency because they are next of kin, because they are spouses, because the Bible, how was Jesus honored? How was God elevated in that moment when that one woman was pulled from the side of her partner as they lost their child? What possible benefit did society gain from that act? What possible glorification did God gain in that moment when those women were separated from each other during that crisis? None whatsoever. Most of the important rights that a couple secures when they marry – really come into play, are really important. They, they come into force during a crisis. You may look at the lesbians and gay men that you know in your life who are happy and together and everything's fine right now and not see how the denial of equal marriage rights in any way really impacts them on a day-to-day -day basis. You will see how it impacts them when one is hospitalized. You will see how it impacts them when one dies and the other loses the home that they shared together because if they were opposite-sex spouses – the surviving partner wouldn't have to pay taxes. But because they are strangers to each other in the law, that's treated as some sort of windfall, not mutual marital property, but one person getting a gift from their dead spouse on which they have to pay taxes. This happens all the time too. Widows and widowers losing their homes because their partners died. Homes they would not lose, a position they would not be in if they could be married, if they were opposite sex or if same-sex marriage were legal here as it is in Canada and Spain and now France and the Netherlands and Belgium and Argentina. So 
I appreciate the journey that you're on. You remind me of another African-American that I know, Barack Obama. Sounds like you're evolving. There is a conflict between who you are politically, socially, religiously, how you love the people in your life, the accepting, welcoming person that you are who believes that all people should be equal and this little bit of bigotry that you're clinging to because it has a religious justification. You have to let that go. And you can hold on to your beliefs. I'm not saying you can't believe it's wrong. You can believe it's wrong and still believe that gay people should be able to marry just as you believe it's wrong but straight people should be able to divorce and interfaith couples should be able to marry, which I assume you believe. Hi, Dan. I am a 24-year-old married man in a happily non-monogamous marriage. Um, I have been with my wife since uh, we were 18. We got married when we were 21 and uh, been non-monogamous for four years now, and it's been great. About a week ago, we during a casual conversation about children, my wife casually said that uh, she thought that we should be monogamous once we had kids, that non-monogamy would be uh, provide an unstable environment for our children to be raised in. I disagreed with her, and, and uh, that led to quite a bit of debating between the two of us. We we decided, since we are followers of your podcast and uh, we trust your opinions, that uh, perhaps you could weigh in about whether or not monogamy or non-monogamy provide stable or unstable environments for children to be raised in, and if that actually affects the raising of children. That non-monogamy is inherently unstable is a stereotype and it's so pervasive a stereotype that even people who are in non-monogamous relationships often believe it, that there's something inherently threatening or destabilizing about you know, a mutually agreed to, controlled, much discussed, lots of good communication non-monogamous relationship and it sounds like your wife uh, is one of those people. This is I think a conversation you guys probably should have had before you got married about the future and kids and whether this would change your sexual relationship in any way. And the irony here is you know, your wife's desire to – at some future – juncture to downshift or I actually shouldn't say downshift. It sounds like I'm saying there's something wrong with being monogamous and I'm not. But her, her desire to shift to a monogamous relationship because she thinks that would be more stable is actually destabilizing your marriage, this conversation coming now. This is creating conflict between you. She had one assumption. You had another assumption. So this monogamy looming on the horizon is now the source of conflict that your wife thinks it somehow is going to prevent conflict and yet it is the source of conflict. Um, I don't think – Monogamy is inherently stabilizing. There would be far fewer divorces if monogamy was the secret ingredient that made a relationship stable. Our divorce courts wouldn't be so packed. If someone is happy being monogamous uh, and monogamy is fulfilling for them, then it is not going to be destabilizing to be monogamous. If someone is unhappy being monogamous, if monogamy makes them miserable, then imposing monogamy on that person is going to push them out of the relationship. They will sabotage the relationship. They will find a way out. You and your wife clearly, before you have kids, need to hammer this shit out. All that said, when you have kids, non-monogamy, other partners, you know, whether it's casual or more ongoing committed, it becomes more difficult, logistically more problematic 
You are going to be busy and stressed and exhausted. You will barely have time for each other when you have a child or some or children in the house when they're small. It's not a coincidence. A lot of people arrive at organized swinging or non-monogamy after their children are grown. Right? You may find that you default to a more monogamous relationship model when you have small kids because it's all you have the energy for. So your wife may get what she wants just because logistically it will be very difficult for you guys to continue to see other partners once you have children. And you may get what you want when you have other children. Even if you're not fucking other people, your relationship will still be moving in that direction. One day you will be non-monogamous again even if right now because you have small children, it is very difficult to – actually engage in any non-monogamous behavior. So I, I think you can both get what you want here. You can get from the wife an acknowledgement that a, a monogamous relationship model is not going to make you happy over the long haul and therefore that will undermine your marriage. It will be destabilizing, not stabilizing if you are expected to be monogamous or, or if she is expected to be monogamous while you acknowledge at that same time that there will be a period of years when you first have children where – Outside sexual contact will be very, very limited and rare. And for you guys at that moment, for your wife's sense of security and comfort, particularly if you guys are exhausted, particularly if she's more exhausted than you are, for you at that moment to renegotiate your compact about what's allowed for outside or whether outside is allowed right now I think would be wise because you do want to prioritize your wife and children at that moment when you have small children in the house um, and you don't want to do things that make her feel insecure or crazy, right? So you may have the non-monogamous relationship that you want and your wife may ultimately have the monogamous in practice if not theory relationship that she wants when the kids are young. You guys can work this out. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Go to AdamandEve.com and order almost any one item at 50% off. Choose a new adult toy, lube, or almost anything from over 18,000 adult products. Then at checkout, enter offer code SAVAGE and you'll get to choose three free adult DVDs. That's right. You get to choose your own DVDs. Plus, receive a free mystery gift and free shipping on your entire order. Choose from all kinds of genres for both gay and straight folks. And now you can also shop on your mobile phone at Adam and Eve. That's adamandeve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hi, Dan. Uh, this is Marcus. I'm a 38-year-old gay dude from uh, Las Vegas. And um, I recently found out that my partner is he's into um, infantilism, and I'm not. And I told him that uh, it's okay if he does it with someone else. I mean, I could get into, uh, maybe do the shaving. I just don't think I could do the diaper. Uh, um, am I being GGG? Because I just don't want to do it. I mean, it's okay if he does it with someone else. I just don't want to do it. I guess we can add infantilism or infantilism, as you called it, to that long list of words like clitoral and clitoral or clitoral. It puts the lotion on the clitoral. Um those words, which, you know, there's two ways to pronounce them. Who knows which ways are right? Vegan, vegan, clitoral, clitoral, infantilism, infantilism. I don't know which pronunciation is correct. Let us go to our creepy serial killer pronunciation friend and find out which one is correct. Before I answer your question, here we go. Let's, let's, let's get an answer from creepy serial killer pronunciation guide. Infantilism or infantilism. They're both right. Who knew? And they both sound so much creepier when the serial killer on the web says them, don't they? Uh, 
it, it, you know, your boyfriend has come out to you about being an infantilist or an infantilist. That is, I think, a high bar kink to clear. Like, you know, that mashup of childlike behavior and infant toys and things with erotics for a lot of people is just a no-go. Even people who are tolerant of their partner's kink, they just can't plug into it uh, because of the taboo around children and sexuality and seeing children as sex objects. Not that infantilists see children as sex objects. I am not saying that. So I think the compromise you worked out is perfect. You still love him. You still accept him. You realize there's this aspect of his sexuality that he needs to express, but he's going to have to go express it on someone else. And that's perfectly reasonable. It's a perfectly reasonable compromise when there's a conflict like this about kink. Speaking of kink, joining us now by phone from her apartment in San Francisco, Tracy Clark Flory. She's a staff writer at Salon. She writes about sex and relationships. Uh, she writes amazing stuff about sex and relationships, and everybody out there should be reading her stuff at Salon. And she just wrote a piece about kink v. vanilla, the new Jets v. Sharks. Tracy, thanks for jumping on the phone. <laughs> thanks for having me. So, so what's the problem that you identified in Kinkland for the, the poor, oppressed vanilla folks? This reverse discrimination. Yeah. Well, I would say it's generally in the land of, of sexual progressives, where there's this sort of judgment and closed-mindedness. Um, you know, ironically, in, in a community that's supposed to be very sexually progressive, um, I think too often progressive or sex-positive gets equated with kinkiness, and, and certain sexual freedoms are considered freer. Uh-huh. Um, and that... That really contradicts my sense of what it means to be sexually progressive. My understanding of sexually progressive is everybody should do what they enjoy without being exactly. judged or slimed by anybody else who doesn't share their tastes in whatever. Exactly. That's exactly the point. Is that not the position of the sexually progressive community? I, I consider myself a member of the sexually progressive community. I'm not trying to impose kinks or fetishes on people who don't have right. them. Yeah, no, totally. And I consider myself a part of that community, too. And and I think that probably, by and large, that, that is the position. But I, but it's common enough to run into that sort of judgment, the sort of you know derogatory talk about vanilla people, um, that sort of thing, where, you know, it, it would be nice if we could sort of meet somewhere in between those extremes. Is this not, though, another case of white people whining about races <laughs> Right. Or English speakers right. whining about having a waiter with a big <laughs> accent. Like, vanilla people are not an oppressed class. Exactly. They are not an oppressed, yeah. You know, I no mean, one's ever taken <laughs> children away from a couple because their sex lives were too boring. But there are cases where people have had their children taken out of their homes because it was discovered that they were super kinky. Like, uh, they had a box of SM toys under the bed in a lock, lo- locked in a box, and their kids were taken away from them. That is actually a case. So this, like, vanilla people tiptoeing into kink spaces and then getting their fee-fees hurt, is this really a big problem? Yeah, no, I wouldn't say that it's it's pe- vanilla people who are, and, you know, whatever vanilla actually means, um, vanilla people who are in kink spaces. It's more in the larger, you know, sexually progressive community that there are these assumptions about what it means to be a sexually progressive person, that that necessarily means being kinky or non-monogamous, and it, and it doesn't. Can you cite an example from your piece of somebody who felt that they, as a vanilla, were being disparaged or abused? Oh, sure. Um, let's see. I had I had one guy who, I mean, it ranges from one guy who was at 
uh, an orgy and was sort of mocked by his friends because he wanted to know a woman's um, name before she touched his penis. Um, and <laughs> there was... Uh, I guess that makes me vanilla because I usually want to know someone's name before they touch my penis, too. Call me old-fashioned. Right. I mean, that's part of the problem is throwing around the term vanilla in, in this really uh, derogatory way. Um, there was another woman who actually said that she reads your column religiously, uh, has all manner of kinky friends, um, and she happens to be monogamous and, and enjoys sex in only you know a handful of positions with her partner, um, and she feels that a lot of her friends sort of assume that she's somehow repressed because she's monogamous and only has sex in a couple positions. And it ain't necessarily so. You know, I, I've actually taken letters and calls from people who were having non-monogamous sex in all sorts of insane positions, and they were oppressed because it wasn't what they wanted to be doing. Mm -hmm. They were doing it for exactly. the wrong reasons. They were being manipulated by a partner. What they were doing wasn't making them happy. Just looking at somebody and seeing non-monogamy and a million kinks doesn't mean that that person isn't repressed or oppressed. Right. Right. And that's really, I think that's really the danger in, in, in viewing monogamy or non-kinkiness as, as uh, repressed and, and kinkiness as, you know, the pinnacle of um, uh, sexual empowerment. You know, we've been through this before. As I said at the top of the show, we've been through this before with lots of different sex communities. You know, it wasn't, you know, when bisexual started really organizing and throwing off the oppression of the monosexual class, meaning, you know, people who are gay or straight, there was this, you know, you would talk to some bisexuals and they would say, you know, you'd say you were gay and they would say, well, I fall in love with people, not genitals. Mm -hmm. And as if bisexuality wasn't, you know, a thing all by itself and a good thing all by itself, but a higher path, a higher calling. They existed on this higher spiritual plane. And are we just reliving this now with kinksters? That it's not just that you're kinky and having fun and these things give you pleasure, but you are more evolved sexually than people who aren't doing what you're doing. I think it's one of those great ironies of life, not just when it comes to sex, that in attempting to escape something, people often end up only reproducing a sort of upside down version of what they're trying to escape. So in this case, you know, it's the exact inverse of like all of that sort of um, rigid sexual judgment instead of saying that, uh, you know, monogamous missionary position sex is the best and right way to have sex. We're saying, uh, no, polyamorous group, you know, whatever sex is, is the right or good or free way to have sex. And that's just not true. There's no one size fits all for sexual freedom. The piece is called What's Wrong with the Vanilla? The Sexually Progressive Community Isn't Always That Enlightened When It Comes to Non-Kinky Sexualities by Tracy Clark Flory. You can read it at Salon. You should be reading Tracy at Salon. You can follow Tracy on Twitter at Tracy Clark Flory. Thank you so much for jumping on the phone with us, Tracy, today. Really appreciated it. Thanks for having me. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider, and I urge you to very seriously consider this one, is The Commitment, Love, Sex, Marriage, and My Family by your host of the Savage Lovecast, Dan Savage. Uh, it just went up. Uh, please go and get it. Listen to it. Um, unfortunately, I don't read it. Somebody named Paul Michael Garcia reads it, but he reads it well. For a free audiobook of your choice, and you're going to choose The Commitment, Love, Sex, Marriage, and My Family, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. That's audiblepodcast.com slash savage. Hi, Dan Savage. This is Melissa calling from Canada. I have a question regarding um, 
something, advice that my friend wanted for regarding her boyfriend. She is currently in a relationship with a guy that she's been on again, off again for with a few years, and they're very happy together right now. Um, but she recently found something in his apartment that she didn't like, and uh, she was admittedly snooping a little bit in his bedroom and found a mystery box under the bed, and in the uh, box was just some mementos from old girlfriends, like letters and other things. But he, she also actually found some naked pictures of a very recent ex-girlfriend. And so she uh, talked to him about it and she said, hey, I was snooping. Sorry about that, but I found these pictures and I um, am upset about why you're keeping them because we're together and obviously I don't really know, understand why you feel these naked pictures. And he said that, you know, he is keeping them as a souvenir of the relationship and, you know, their memories and their part of their past. And, you know, he's just keeping them around because it was a memento from their relationship. But she felt really uncomfortable and wanted him to get rid of it, uh, rid of the pictures. And um, he is refusing not to. So she asked me for advice and I honestly was... I mean, like, if I put myself in her position, I'd be pissed. I would probably tell him to get rid of it, do the same thing. But at the same time, like, um, you know, I know he has his right to uh, have certain memories of the relationship. I just don't know if it's okay for him to have these pictures. Like, it's like he has, still has, you know, some sort of visual access to another an ex's naked body and I'm I really don't know what to say to her because she's pretty upset and she always comes to me for advice and for this one I really don't know what to say oh my god thank you so much for calling I really appreciate your call in particular because it has reminded me that it's been way too long since I sent Terry some chocolates and flowers you know he was going through this trunk I have this massive trunk with all my shit in it from grade school high school college uh, my young adulthood before I met him until I was 30 just threw mementos in this trunk and it weighs 10,000 pounds and it needed to move so he dumped everything out of it and as he was dumping things out of it he found pictures of an ex-boyfriend of mine naked pictures that I have held onto for longer than I care to admit right pictures from when it used to be hard to get naked pictures of people not easy to get naked pictures of your exes and Terry thought it was cute and showed me the picture and wanted to know who the guy was and I told him who the guy was and he thought it was really sweet that I still had this little bit of you know sentimental affection for this guy. Not threatened. He thought it was sweet. He thought it spoke well of my character actually that I had – that I was so sentimental and, and I had this ability. You know, I formed these attachments. Currently, I'm attached to him and I plan to remain attached to him. In part because he's not an insane, controlling, snooping, psycho bitch. Like your friend. Um, your friend went snooping. When you snoop, you will find things you don't want to find. I promise you. You will find things that will then ruin shit for you. So don't fucking snoop. And your her boyfriend has a right to his memories, a right to his possessions, a right to some privacy he didn't have those pictures taped to the bathroom mirror so he could look at his ex-girlfriend's pussy once a day when he brushed his teeth they were put away inaccessible until your idiot friend accessed them and created 
conflict and drama where before there was none because she couldn't respect her boyfriend's right, not just to privacy, but to a past. I have pictures of exes. Terry has pictures of exes. Terry has dirty pictures of himself with exes that I stole because he threatened to throw them away at one point because he doesn't like that ex. And I was like, no, no, these need to be saved for posterity. You know, the chance that human civilization will collapse, there will be some sort of apocalypse. If the only thing that survives on this planet to show that we were here are these Polaroids of Terry, that'll be enough. That and the Mona Lisa, I think, will really represent humanity well. Tell your friend to apologize to her boyfriend. Tell your friend to engage in the kind of suspension of disbelief that is what makes relationships possible. He has fucked other women. He is attracted to other women. He has visual access unlimited visual access to other women. It's called the internet. He's got a laptop. He's got a phone. He can look at as much pussy and ass as he wants to. It's kind of sweet that he in part wants to look at someone that he felt something for. That impulse on his part may be why he's got another good relationship on his hands because he's the kind of guy who likes the women that he's with and is attracted to them. And when he breaks up with somebody, he doesn't have to pretend that that person was some shrewish cunt that he never wants to see again or look at again or think about again. That he holds his exes in some esteem. And he was, you know, I, I'm saying this not just because he's got dirty pictures. It's not like he had other shit in there too. And he cherishes these memories. Someone who cherishes memories of exes has the capacity to cherish the person they are with now. Your friend is an idiot if she throws that away. If she throws that kind of guy away. So you know, to sum up, your friend owes her boyfriend an apology and she owes it herself to get to clear this hump because she will sabotage every relationship she's in if this is her standard. You're not allowed to have exes. You're not allowed to have mementos. You're not allowed to have fond feelings for your exes. You're not allowed to save things that I don't approve of. I guarantee you if it wasn't the picture, she would have been accepted by love letters, right? If they went on vacations together and there were pictures of them in good times, their arms around each other in Paris or the Grand Canyon, that that would be what she was upset about. The only reason she said about those pictures is because they were sort of the most glaring evidence that her boyfriend has fucked other women and is attracted to other women. He has. He is. He always will be attracted to other women even if he's not fucking other women. Oh, this obviously, you know, this issue touches a nerve. So I'm going to stop ranting and go on to the next call. Hey, Dan, a straight girl in my 30s here. I am calling about an issue I'm having with an ex regarding a video I want to submit for the Hump Film Festival. Basically, my ex and I were together for about a year, and during that year, we made a lot of sex videos. There is one video in particular that I think is really hot. My ex is not in the video with me. Um, he was super GGG, and he would let me get with other guys whenever I wanted Anyhow, this video would need to be edited in order to meet the five-minute requirement, so I asked him to edit, edit it. He tentatively agreed, and then we watched it together the other night to discuss like what needed to be cut, um, music choices, that sort of thing. He seemed really open to me submitting the video, and he turned out his plan for it, and honestly, the video will be awesome if he edits it the way we talked about. Now the issue is he doesn't think I should submit it because he thinks I will regret it. And he also is saying that there is no way that you, Dan Savage, can guarantee that my video won't end up in the wrong hands 
one completely out there worst case scenario he presented was that one of the judges makes a copy of the video for himself and his house is robbed and somehow the other my parents who live clear across the country will end up with a copy of it. This is what I'm dealing with. And he also wants me to explain to him why I want an audience full of strangers to watch the video. I don't feel I need to argue my case. I don't feel this is a decision to make. I'm so frustrated. I don't know what to do. He's the only person I trust to edit this video and honestly the only one who can make it super hot. I don't want to bash my ex. He's a great guy. He's got a good heart and I love him dearly. But I want to submit this video. It would mean a lot to me. This is judgment masquerading as concern, right? What's really going on is audience full of strangers looking at you. Why would you want an audience full of strangers looking at you? Because you do. Because the thought of it turns you on. And he doesn't approve. But rather than just cop to the disapproval, oh, your parents are going to see the video. Now, the film festival we are talking about here, Hump, my film festival in Seattle, short, erotic uh, pornos, some of them, some of them are just erotica, but mostly pornos. We've been doing it for seven or eight years now. In all of that time, we have never had a leak. Nobody's videos ever wound up online that didn't want to put it online. There's some people who've made videos, uh, created little short porns for Hump that they have released uh, on Xtube and on YouTube, uh, the ones that are erotica, not dirty, dirty pornography, uh, of their own choosing. But there has never been a leak. The judging when people submit their videos to us, the, ju- the, the videos, once they're in the building, are kept in a locked room. The judging is in that locked room. No judges leave with tapes. No, we don't make tapes and send them to all the judges. The judges all gather in one room to watch the videos and select the ones that go into the festival, where then the audience gets to vote, and uh, the videos can win up to $5,000 based on the audience's vote. So you're, you, you know, we can't guarantee that an audience member won't surreptitiously take a photograph or attempt to make a video. But at every screening, we have bouncers who are walking the aisles, who are looking for anybody who has a phone in the hand. And there are strict rules about no phones, no video equipment. And again, in seven years, no leaks. The only stuff from Hump that's online is stuff that the people who made for Hump wanted to release online. Uh, so, you know, I can't promise you 100,000% that there couldn't be a leak at a future Hump screening, but there hasn't been a leak seven years running at any Hump screening so far. And I don't think there will be. And we take every step to make sure there won't be because we want people at Hump to be porn stars for the weekend and not the rest of their lives. Porn star in front of audience full of strangers and sometimes supportive friends, not porn stars in front of your parents back home in Boca Raton, Florida. All that said, if you want to submit this video to Hump, you should submit it. You can even submit a long version of it. And we, if we want to put it in the festival, we'll find somebody to edit it for you. For information about submitting to Hump, you can go to humpseattle.com and call her. You can learn to edit video yourself. I bet you can if you want to submit. Uh, And if not this year, because the deadline for submission is coming right up, it's October 7th, then next year. Hey, Dan, this is the um, lesbian from podcast 295 who needed to pussy up and tell her dark mic to fuck off. Um, Just letting you know, I actually hadn't seen him um, after you answered my call. Uh, He ended up having a complication in his medication and needed to stay home for the last two weeks of school, and then he left for Greece over the summer. So school just started back up and I'm seeing him again. Um, he decided on the first day that it was a wonderful idea to march right up to me and smack my ass hard enough to leave bruises and call me his bitch. I'm right in the middle of the hall, so I kind of flipped out at him. Um, 
don't worry, I just slapped him across the face, nothing big. <laughs> um, I called him a douchebag. I told him he had to stop treating me like that because he knew I was a lesbian. Um, he got all kind of defensive and called me a whore and a slut and said, oh, I must love to suck his dick so much. Um, and I just wanted that so bad. And so right in the middle of the hall, I told him he needed to go fuck himself, that I was gay and I was never going to be his, quote unquote. Um, and I had your voice in my head the whole time telling me to ovary the fuck up. Uh, so thank you, Dan. Um, needless to say, we are no longer friends, thank God. And everything's being dealt with. Um, thank you so much for your advice. Way to go. I, I, and I'm glad to hear that the sound of my voice caused your ovaries to rise up in that situation for you to defend yourself. Awesome job. Good on you. Thanks for the call. Hi, Dan. This is a quest. Um, the question about the lady who had a smoking partner, smoking boyfriend, smoking husband. Um, myself and my husband have been together for 24 years. We have three kids. But over the last year, the smoking, his smoking has bothered me more and more and more and more. And I think it was to do with the kids are kind of getting older and we weren't as kind of, we weren't connecting as much as we had been. And um, I decided this is it. Deal breaker conversation had to be had. So I sat him down in a very neutral place and I said, this is the deal. We're great parents. We get on very well together. And I really don't want to split up. But I'm not fucking you anymore. Uh, you are free to fuck anybody else safely, of course. And I'm going to find a non-smoker to fuck, but this pussy is closed. Um, I was completely open with him. I went onto Blender and Craigslist, found a hot guy, set up a date, and met up to see if we went, if we got on with each other. When my husband realized that I was actually serious about this, he bought the Alan Carr book and one week later stopped smoking. All he needed was a real incentive, and I wished I had done it years ago. Um, the upshot now is that we are having amazing smoke-free sex, and we both occasionally get to play offside a little bit with others to keep it exciting. So my advice to that girl would be to just sit him down and say, this is going to be tough for you, I really like this, but man the fuck up. Grow up here, and if you want to keep me in your life and you want this pussy staying open for you, mate, give up the fags. Hi, Dan. I am driving with my recently in, uh, obtained husband. We just got married in a beautiful outdoor setting in Idaho, and we wanted to let you know that we wrote our own vows, and in those vows, we vowed to each other that we would both be good, giving, and game. We've totally influenced our relationship, and it's been awesome. And we're going to leave it there, but quickly. All right, callers. I hear you, commenters at thestranger.com slash lovecast. I hear you. You were a little bit annoyed by Cindy Gallup's speaking style. But did you listen to what the woman had to say? Have you gone to make love, not porn? She's doing awesome work. Maybe there's a way for you to slow the tape down and listen to it. Cindy felt really bad. She was tweeting about how bad she felt that when she doesn't have an audience in front of her to kind of slow her down, she just reverts to her mother's speaking style. Her mother is Chinese and spoke very rapidly. And she was speaking very rapidly. And she's sorry, but if you didn't listen to the whole show, I would really challenge you to white-knuckle your way through it and listen to what Cindy is saying instead of just getting cranked about how Cindy's saying it. She's very smart. 
And I think her project is amazing. And you will be doing yourself a disservice if you don't check out makelovenotporn.com because you thought Cindy Gallup had an annoying speaking style. One more note before we go. For folks who are in Seattle on October 4th, Slate is coming to town to do a live recording of the Slate Political Gab Fest at Town Hall on October 4th. Doors at 6. Tickets are $10. Editor David Plot, Slate's chief political correspondent and CBS News political director John Dickerson, and Slate's senior editor Emily Bazelon, and I will be joining them on stage at Town Hall for the Gab Fest when they do it here in Seattle. For tickets, go to slate.com slash Seattle Gab Fest. 206-201-2720. That's the number here at the podcast. If you want to record a call or comment for a future show, the podcast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian, who oversees the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth, and me and Nancy and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. We'll be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.